Today's first scripture reading comes from Psalm 150, verses 1 through 6, and can be found on page 634 of the Church Bibles. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is the word of God. Today's second scripture reading comes from Acts 20, verses 17 through 32, and can be found on page 1117 of your church Bibles. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I have lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of, none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of, of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you inheritance among all those who are sanctified. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to everyone who has uh, braved the rain to come today. <clears throat> and also welcome to those of you joining us on Zoom today. Of course, for Lois and myself, this is a very special day. And we appreciate our time with you here in Switzerland, in Zurich. It's been an absolute delight for us. 
You know, uh, I mentioned before that sometimes my dear wife has described our lives by an old English saying which says you cannot have your cake and eat it too. But she then rephrases that little phrase and says, but in our lives we did. And what she means by that, as she explained to me, is we spent the majority of our lives as adults in missions. And we have absolutely no regrets. We had our cake and we ate it. It was delightful. It wasn't easy, but it was good. And then, after uh, we were there for those years, we spent 15 years pastoring, and she describes that as the icing on top of the cake. Even better. Not that the first was bad, but this was good. And then, um, about ten, five years into our pastoring of uh, the mission we'd been with previously, came and asked us if we'd serve on their global board, which we did for about seven years, which was an absolute delight, brought us back into that. And that became her description of the cherry on top of the frosting on top of the cake. And then, in our last years of pastoring in Wisconsin, our son, after finishing teaching for 10 years and four years in China in an international school, said, uh, could I come and work with you? Now, working with a father and son does not always work. As a matter of fact, sometimes it doesn't work at all, but this one did because he wanted it to, and uh, he was seeing if this would be God's calling on his life. So that we'd have to, do, and it was an absolute delight. So that is the, do you know the old Viennese term, schlagobers, whipped cream, on top of the cherry, on top of the frosting, on top of the cake. And I've then lost descriptive words for you. But I think it is café de crème <laughs> that makes it all just wonderful. And I want to thank you very, very much for this time as we celebrate it together. But today, I did ask my dear wife if she had anything she would like to say to you. She sends you these verses from First Philippians, excuse me, First Thessalonians chapter 3. Verses 12 and 13. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Thank you again for your love for us, and we thank you that uh, God enabled us to be here. Now, today I want us to look at these verses from Acts chapter 20. It's one of the farewells that Paul gives as he is on his way back to Jerusalem, and he is passing by the area where Ephesus is not right to the city, of course, but he comes and he calls the elders to come to him, and then he speaks these words to them. Now, as we look at that this morning, or the, I would want us to 
look at certain sections, and I would divide these verses really into four different groupings. In the first, verses 17 through verse 21, Paul seems to describe in his own words what he thinks and understands and has experienced that God has done during that time with them. And you will see there he talks about that he has not hesitated then to preach and to teach publicly, house to house, and ultimately says he's declaring the truth that for Jew and Gentile, if we would bring that into 2023, for those who go to church and believe or think that things are good between them and God, and those who maybe do not have any relationship with God, that the message and truth of God is for these as well as for these. And then he goes on in the next section, and of course we could spend our whole sermon time in those verses, but the next section seems to me to be that where in verses then 22 to 24, he explains to them this being compelled by the Spirit of God. In other words, he knows, he's experienced that now God is actually giving him direction. He doesn't know 100% exactly to what or where, but he realizes it is very much God who is leading. And in that, he also gives the aim of his life. Look at this in verse 24, where he says, My only aim is to finish the race, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. And again repeats the same idea, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Actually, this last week on Friday evening, the man who founded the mission that Lois and I were involved with for many years, George Verber, who spoke here in the first Sunday of July, actually just passed to be with the Lord on Friday night. He had come down later after he was with us, had been diagnosed with a type of cancer, very serious, of course. But in the last kind of public announcement or blog that he sent out to many, and you can certainly Google it and see it and if you'd like to yourselves, but one of the things he mentions in, the, in that is that he had had a very special time with God. And in that time, God did for him what you see God has, has done for Paul. Is he said, George said, and God shared with me that I have done what I have been on earth to do. And Paul was able to say that to them. He said, this is my goal. This is my aim. To do that which God has called me to do and to finish. We remember as we studied 2 Timothy together. In chapter 4 as he brings those concluding words to Timothy. The very important which he's left to the very, left, to the very last moment. And he says to him, and, and I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. And I guess my heart's cry and prayer for each one of you is, first, do you know the calling of God? 
Do you know the purpose of God for each of our lives and are we running and living in such a way as that is the supreme thing of, of which we are doing? Now, those two sections, and excuse me for just kind of skipping, not skipping, but barely touching upon them this morning. But where I want us to spend our time is in verses 25 then on through verse 32. And that I'm going to put into two different parts. Verse 35, excuse me, 25 through 31 is where Paul then gives instructions. And he's going to give four things to these people who is called from Ephesus to come and to listen to these last words that he has for them. And in these four things, he is going to share with them what is on his heart for them. Now, realize as you look at verses 25 and 26 and every, even 27, he kind of shares with them about how he has been, again, preaching the truth and how he has declared to them. But look in verse 26. It's a very type of odd expression I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. What does he mean by that? Certainly he hasn't gone around and been slashing them with knives or anything like that, or if they were helping in a project that they hurt themselves or something. No, no, no. He says, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. What he is saying here, and we'll find in the next verse, is he's literally going to say, and now, and now in the next verse, God the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit has made you, has appointed you, has appointed you to be the caretakers, to be the watch persons, to be the shepherds of the flock. In other words, Paul said, and God has done through me what God desired to do. And now God himself in the person of God, the Holy Spirit, has transferred that responsibility from Paul to these people from Ephesus. And we might say, well, yes, that's great if we're, a, if we're an elder. And of course it is for elders. But in reality, are not we before God first and foremost responsible for our own spiritual lives and then also responsible for those in our family and those near to us, those with whom we work, those with whom we come into discussion, those with whom we share the train or the bus. You see, I guess before I go from this verse, I would like to ask you when you go home today, would you just take a few moments, maybe over a cup of tea or coffee or whatever, and either on your phone or maybe on your notebook or your somewhere, laptop, or if you're still one who uses pen and ink and paper, make one of those lists. But could you pause for a moment and think about those whom God the Holy Spirit has made you or given you the responsibility of being that watch person, that shepherd, that one to maybe speak with them, that one to maybe simply pray for them, that one to be interested in their lives, that one to reach out. You see, God is so interested in people, it didn't say he just loved me and you. It says he loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son. 
that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And I would encourage you to make that list. It may only be one. It may be many. And that would give you a guideline, something to be praying for and watching for opportunities that God would give. But then, as I said, it seems to me that Paul then gives specific instructions. And there in verse 28, as we read that, we find there, he says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And there is where that verse comes in 26, where he says, God, the Spirit is making you overseers or responsible now, the first thing he says is, watch out for yourself. Now, that doesn't mean, therefore, if I want to get this or I want to get that. But really what he's saying here, I believe, if we understand correctly, because it's in the context of spiritual life and being a spiritual overseer. But he says the first responsibility of that person as we're responsible for others, is to look at ourselves. To keep our own spirit and our own life with God alive. And, and to know that we are progressing, we are meeting with him. He is speaking to us and we are responding. May I ask you a question? In your own spiritual heart. Take a millisecond. Don't look longer than a millisecond. But allow yourself for a millisecond to look into the depth of your heart and soul. How is it? Is it getting cold? Is it really bubbling with, yes, God is alive and I know I'm alive in him? Or have we started to step back or holding back? And I think as we look at ourselves, we look at our own spiritual walk with God. And the second thing I think we would really want to look at for ourselves is what about, what about sin and us? That relationship, that stuff that separates us from God. You know, have we gotten to the place where, oh yeah, my friend, it's okay for them. It must be okay for me. Or maybe going back to those things that we know shouldn't go to that website, shouldn't watch that page, all of those type of things, or a variety of things. All I'd say is I'm not here to list stuff. But as we watch ourselves, watch out for ourselves, we watch our own spiritual heart and where we are with God. But then we watch in our own relationship is in this battle and this things that we are doing to put on the spirit of God and put off the flesh. Are we continuing to do so? Because you know, sometimes evil comes as an angel of light, but we need to then, in ourselves, watch us. And then the last thing I would say for watching myself, what I also find is, how am I doing at forgiving? And in my own way, I, it's nothing that I think is profound or anything, but I, I do think in my own life, I find forgiveness of others and forgiving sometimes even myself has three stages. And the first stage is where if I need to forgive someone or I need to ask for forgiveness, I need to own it. And then actually do the 
expression of forgiving or receiving forgiveness. And that is very good. And sometimes that is, actually, I find that's the simplest part of forgiveness. Because then comes, I think, the second phase. And the second phase, remember how it is in the, in the new covenant? And I will forgive their sins and I will remember their iniquities no more. Forgiveness, and then come the act of forgiving, the act of receiving forgiveness, the act of repentance if necessary, and that builds then the concluding that we will not remember. Forgiveness to that depth. And I don't know how your minds work, but people often call me kind of a, not an introvert until they get to know me, and then they wished I would be a bit more introvertive if that's a word, but I can go into my own mind, and you remember I've described a man's mind as boxes, all separate, and my, I have this empty nothing box, and sometimes my mind goes into that nothing box, but at that point, there can come this, do you remember when he or she did that? Do you remember this? And at that moment, I must then say, no, I will not remember because I have chosen to forgive and I call out for the grace of God. I'm not perfect in this. And there are days when I have to come back to that first level and the second level. But then I think there's actually a third phrase of forgiveness. When you do it, you choose not to remember, but then you actually express that you've forgiven. And that'll come sometimes in a handshake. That'll sometimes come in a hug to someone you thought you'd never hug again. That might even come in a cup of coffee. And it may be a situation where it's just a respectful distance. And I would just encourage each of you as, as we look, as Paul's encouraged us to take heed, he says, to look at, watch out for yourself. How about in our relationship with God, in our dealing with sin, in our process of forgiveness within our lives. Now, he goes on in verse 26, not only that, but then he goes and says, therefore, as we go on, excuse me, verse 28, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which is in the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And so it's not only then watching out for ourselves to get ourselves in order, but then it is also to watch out for others. And so that we actually see and we are aware of what is going on in the lives of others. To do that, we become involved with them. Because he teaches us there to watch out for yourself and then watch out for others. It's like people crossing the street. I was very thankful. The other day I was down in Kreuzplatz making good time going across the street. And all of a sudden I heard this tram. Ding, 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 ding. And I looked around, who was the foolish person to be there in front of the tram? And then I looked down at my own shoes, and yes, it was me. <laughs> I was so thankful. There was a tram a driver who was watching out. But here Paul says, but we as Christians are to watch out for the others. Not just ourselves. Yes, us. But then the others. And, and that moves our heart to this whole other level. And then look what he says in the following, the remaining part of verse 28. He says, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. In other words, this 
this, he brings in these two verses the Trinity of God. He says, God the Holy Spirit, who's making you an overseer, those who watch out. That's coming from God the Holy Spirit. And then he says, and God the Father, they belong to him because he bought them. And what did he buy them with? The blood of his own son. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit involved in this and leading us. And then he says to be a shepherd. Now, to be a shepherd, most of us have this ideal picture of green grass, blue water, and little fluffy animals that just go bah, bah, and everything is gentle and wonderful. That means that none of us have been shepherds. I did work for a man in my university days who raised many, many, many sheep. And I've told you his story. But one of the things I did learn about that is being a shepherd is there are certain things a shepherd always does. Remember one time in the mountains I visited a man in my university days who was herding about a thousand sheep in the mountains. And I thought, my, that'd be a great summer job. And then I watched him and I thought, no, I'm going to have another summer job. Because you know what he did? He was always watching out. He was always alert. Before the sheep got up in the morning, he was up. After they went to bed at night, he was there. He stayed. His life was centered on those sheep. And here Paul is saying, and God the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, these are his, but he's made us responsible. Shepherd them. And then the other thing I noted about that shepherd, in that area they had coyotes and mountain lions. And when he saw an enemy coming, when he saw a predator coming, he did not just whistle and say, hey, get out of there. He went and stood between them. Oh my, if this is what he means by shepherding, how many times have you seen your brother, your sister, the person who's not knowing what's going on or maybe not believing what is right and no one help, and you just stand and watch. Really, a shepherd goes and stands in between to protect. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I lay my life down for my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. They know it. And not only does a shepherd watch and protect, a shepherd feeds. And I don't know any way that you can feed a person's soul except through God's own word. You can counsel them, you can talk to them, you can be there when they need them and need you. But at that moment, the way we feed their soul is we share what God has placed within his word. Remember this account when Jesus was speaking with the lady and his disciples had gone into the village to buy bread and they came back and I think the disciples were maybe a bit worried that he, with the Lord, was speaking with this woman. But then they offered him, Lord, we have bread. And remember his response is, I have bread to eat from what you know nothing about. And then he said, when I do the will of my Father, it feeds me. And out of that, I would say, in doing the will of the Father, it will feed your soul. 
and feeding from God's word feeds our soul as nothing else. It reveals God to us. It teaches us the way of salvation. It shows us what God says is right and wrong. And it explains to us the working of God. So shepherd protects. He watches. And he feeds, but also a shepherd leads. In the Old Testament, you'll often see the picture of a shepherd leading from the front. And sometimes you'll need to do that. You'll need to actually go to those to whom God has made you responsible, whether it's family, friends, church, others. And you may need to make that type of suggestion and not just say, hey, you need to change. This needs to happen. No, no, no. You see, leading, if you watch a shepherd, you'll see that they never get very far away from their sheep. They're always close. And this idea of let's go together is incredibly important. And actually within nature, sometimes what you'll find is that the herd leads itself and yet the actual leader of the herd comes from behind to make certain that no one gets lost. You see, there's two positions for leading. You make certain that no one's lost, and then you also walk with them in the way. And Jesus is saying, and as Paul is speaking here, the word of Christ, he's just saying to us, and God has made you responsible. God, the Holy Spirit, has given you the people that God has bought with the blood of God the Son. And we're responsible for them, and we are to lead them, and we are to shepherd them. Now, then the fourth thing that he gives as an instruction you'll find in verse 31 he says now in verse 31 so be on your guard remember that the three years I never stopped sharing with you or warning you each day and night with tears and all I'd say here is what he's saying is be on guard well how do we be on guard it's kind of like watching but being ready and really what he says is remember what was taught Remember what I said for three years. Remember what's here in God's word. What is truth? And then if you look at those two verses we skipped over in the middle, verse 27 and just above that, as we started reading 29, you find out, or excuse me, verse, I mixed up, verse 29 and verse 30, between there, you'll find that what he does is he shares why he is concerned. Well, why he is concerned is wolves. And he says there are going to be those who come from the outside. And you see, if we don't know this, if we don't know this and we don't know our relationship with God, when something comes from the outside, which is not true, because in the next verse what he says, and there will also be those who come from the inside, and then they will take, and what he says, they will pervert truth. If you look up in the original, the word pervert comes, it's one of these beautiful words where they put two words together, a compound word, one meaning it's coming and going all the way through, and the other means it's absolutely changing direction. To pervert means it's persevering and it's permeating to the point, but then it's turning it off the goal. And what they're changing is truth. And the only place there is truth is here. We live in 2023, where a very common phrase is, 
What is true for me is true for me. What's true for you is true for you. Let's all live together with joy. But the struggle with that is there are some absolute truths. God. There's only one way of salvation. Jesus himself has said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There are things that God says are godly. There are things that God says are not. And so he says to them, be aware of that. And how do we know when it's moving from truth? The only way I know is you have to know truth. I remember one day, many years ago, the Austrians were changing their currency. And I remember going into a bank and talking with a man because at that time there were a lot of different uh, counterfeit bills being passed around. And uh, as we got talking about something, uh, he then told me how he had just been through a course of how to tell the difference between the real thing and false. And I said, wow, that must be really, did they give you a, now they've gets much more sophisticated. You know, you got a green light and you got to do all this type of stuff. Back in that day, he said, no, no, no. He said, what they did is they took us for hours and all they did, they didn't show us anything that was false. They just showed us the true one. We held it, we touched it, we smelled it, we rubbed it, until we got to the point, as soon as I touched that which was false, I knew this was true and that was not. And here he says, and what happens is they pervert truth. And the only way we know is when we know the truth. And there the answer that he gives to them, of course, is there right in that verse where he says, and because I've shared this with you those years, May I ask you, do you know the truth? In the next years, you will need to know it. May God bless you as you go. Let me just give you his blessing at the end, verse 32. I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are being sanctified. It's an amazing blessing that he gives. He commits them to God, God who is our Father, not just the Father of creation, but the very Father who adopted us into his family as he forgives our sins and places his spirit in us, whereas our spirit responds out crying, Abba, Father. He's at God. But then he says also to the grace of God. You know, always a nice definition that I like of grace is receiving that which one does not deserve. Where, of course, mercy is you don't get what you do deserve. But beyond that, I did look this word up again just to make certain. But what it actually says, it's, it's, it's this kind of word to communicate. And they said the only description which really communicates this word grace is, is a leaning into. Because you want to, you lean into. Get the idea? What he's saying is, I commit you to God the Almighty, the Father, the one who bought you with his blood. And then this God, his grace is, he's leaning into you. He's reaching out to you. He's loving you. He's identifying with you. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. The God of the living. And Paul, in all he said, because then he goes on and says, why do I commit you to God and this grace of God? Because he is able to build you. And literally the word here means someone who's building a house. 
we all should put a little sign across our front saying, work project from God. And God, he said, he understood the faith that God was able to build this into them. And then in the end, he says also not only that, but he gives you an inheritance among those who are being sanctified, those who are being made godly, those who are going to be with him in eternity. It's the, etern- sanctific- excuse me, it's the inheritance of eternal life, inheritance of forgiveness, the inheritance of God's spirit living in us. And remember, he commits them to God and God's grace. Peter in his epistle says, we as believers are a kingdom of priests. We worship God. But remember in the Old Testament, there were 12 sons who received 12 inheritances. The only problem is mathematically 12 doesn't work because you have 12 sons and then you take away Joseph, but you add his two sons because they both inherit. So you get 12 minus 1 is 11 plus 2 is 13. And there's only 12 inheritances. The priesthood, the tribe of Levi, God said, I will take care of you, but you have no inheritance, but your inheritance is, and then God, this God Almighty, this God of grace says, your inheritance is me. Can you imagine that? God giving people an inheritance of God himself. And that's the blessing that Paul is giving to the people. And may I just read that for you? And now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all who are being sanctified. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this morning. Thank you for your love and your grace to us. Thank you that you are here with us. And Lord, you know this has been an absolute delight to be with IPC and to get to know and love the church family. But now as we leave, we do commend them to you. We commit them to you and to your grace. May they experience this leaning in of God and be very aware in their minds and their hearts and their spirits that God loves them and God is working in their hearts and lives. And Lord, if there comes a time when something happens, may you give them truth and may they stand with truth and see you work out each detail. But bless them, keep them, anoint them from above with your presence and may your daily presence be so real, almost tangible, that they reach out and walk with you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.